Kaylee, did you know that stolen recordings from popular artists that have never been officially released can sell for upwards of $20,000? Oh my gosh, I did not. However, I do believe that they that they call those grails. And I feel like one of Taylor Swift's might fetch a little more than 20K, but I also think the cyber criminals know better. Well, Taylor Swift did announce her track list for her new album, and it's like months before it's going to start coming out. And I just had to think right now there's a whole bunch of criminals, right, who are going after the grail of one of those unreleased but recorded um, Taylor Swift things. I mean, you're right. That's got to be – that would be a record. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it looks like uh, in early January – U.S. authorities arrested a 19-year-old Florida man. So this is a classic Florida man story, but with a cybersecurity twist. Uh, The authorities were charging him with wire fraud, aggravated identity theft, and conspiring with others. And and the the overall scheme that's alleged is it was SIM swapping to steal cryptocurrency. But there's a lot more to it than that, right, Kelly? Yes, that's right. Uh, He stole at least 800K from at least five people. Uh, in the in the stealing of crypto, um, however, the more interesting bit, in my opinion, is that there was this gang. It sounds like of these people who were specifically trading in stolen, unreleased rap recordings from popular artists. <laughs> so the 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 allegations are that he was uh, a key suspect, and I guess these hacker groups. Octopus with a K and mm-hmm. scattered and scattered spider, and it's a it's a real it's a great Florida man story because it's not just allegations of of online damage, but also real stuff that apparently happened out in the world. Um, again, all allegations allegations at this point, but Krebs on security had reported it and, and put a little more detail on it. Um, the nickname was well, it's Noah Michael Urban. He's from Palm Coast, Florida. Is the accused. Uh, and his nickname was Sosa or King Bob, uh, alleged to have been a, a core member of the hacking group behind the 2022 breach at uh, Twilio. The allegation, I guess, is that Octopus also leveraged – like they do one breach and they allegedly then they take the information from that breach and they perpetrate another. So it was fairly well thought out, like breaking into one building, grabbing a key, using that key to then open up another building on another piece of property. So pretty yeah. well – kind of thought through. Uh, but yeah, the, the rap music aspect of the alleged wrongdoing seems to be the the biggest part of it. He, he was obsessed with these grails. Is that it? Yes, grails. And yeah, uh, as, as you said earlier, it's not unusual for a prized grail to fetch 5000 to up to $20,000. Um, I, I'm curious though how those two things became connected like if if they were uh playing off of one another or if they were two separate things entirely i guess the idea is if if you develop the skills to get in somewhere you're not supposed to be they want to do something once you're there in the old days it was you know breaking into an abandoned building and graffitiing it right so there was something to do so here i think the allegations are that you know they break in and then they'd use the They'd break into, you know, fine, you'd steal cryptocurrency, but also they'd break in to do this equivalent of graffiti, right? They'd go and take something, Mm -hmm. 
that wasn't supposed to be theirs. Um, yeah, bring it to the market or just enjoy it or use it like um, use it like a bounty, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I imagine that's probably how they got paid more often than not. At least the bigger amounts is blackmail. Yeah, one of these stories too. I mean, it's not just online. So I think a lot of folks we've reported on this before on the show. They think of cybersecurity crimes as being all done in a digital way, and they don't necessarily think that because these are crimes, these are criminals who may not obey all the other laws that we have. And so, Krebs uh, had a had a piece on you know about a year ago. Uh, someone named Foreshadow, right? That was like mm-hmm. a, a, the alias. There was a Florida teenager who was working for one of these alleged SIM swapping crews or teams. Uh, he was abducted, beaten, and held for a $200,000 ransom, right? Um, apparently, a new and rival SIM swapping group uh, took credit for this. They claimed that Foreshadow had robbed them uh, and of their fair share of profits from a group job. So, I mean, this is modern crime, but still using in-person, uh, uh, ex- you know, kidnapping, robbery, extortion techniques. Uh, so it's not it's not safe or victimless. These crimes they're 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 serious, and and the bad actors are, are bad actors up and down the line. I think. Yeah, I agree. It's it's as you say, the perfect example of how this crosses over into real life because. Apparently, this is part of the SIM swapping network. It's common for them to ask to accept jobs in person. That's the IRL, the in real life mm-hmm. moniker, right? If you see them. So I think law enforcement who might be on those same channels must love seeing something like that because <laughs> <laughs> they know they have an IRL chance of arresting people uh, as a result of this thing. So I see what you did there. In the back, in the back community, will continue using easy and straightforward monikers to know where the bad guys are. So, yeah. I like this, and I think we're going to do, Kaylee. We're going to keep doing what our producer Rex says we should do, which is bad guys are not hackers. Bad guys are cyber criminals or criminals. That's right. Hackers are good guys. Hackers are, or at minimum, they're neutral, and at best, they're really, really helpful. Uh, Absolutely to everybody. After a short break. We will chat with Joanna Parker-Martin. Joanna is a security analyst at Rice University who spends a lot of time protecting researchers, uh, grant data, and students on the campus and beyond. She also studies and thinks deeply about issues related to artificial intelligence. In her free time, she leads the Cybersecurity Book Club for WESIS Global. We're really looking forward to talking to Joanna today. Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that introduces you to some of the top talent in the world of cybersecurity. Well, welcome back. Our guest today is Joanna Parker-Martin. Joanna, welcome to the No Password Required podcast. Hello. Good to be here. Joanna, could you start by just describing what your current role is at Rice University? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So I work as a security analyst in the um, governance, risk, and compliance space. Um, It it involves assessing security controls of, you know, cloud service vendors, and this can be anything from Zoom to Google Drive. Um, uh, I also focus on data loss prevention, um, protecting university data. 
I, I recently actually made a slight pivot uh, about six months ago into this space after working four years as security operations, right? Doing mostly incident response and things of that nature. Um, yeah. So that's, that's where I'm at right now. Does that include both uh, like work for students and also on the research and faculty side, like the whole protection? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, when we say data loss prevention, we mean all rice data. So that applies to student data that's that's for the purposes of school, um, obviously not their personal data. But um, but yeah, doing that and uh, protecting faculty, protecting research. Uh, that's a really big thing, especially in the compliance space, because there's not just a lot of intellectual property, but you have to protect, uh, you know, some some of the. The, the spirit of, of what's expected from DOD grants and, you know, things that are funded by outside sources, they expect a certain level of security needs to be there. Yeah. And then, so how did you, uh, how did you land here? Like what, what led up to this, uh, this current role? Well, you know, several things. Um, <laughs> the whole long saga is, is kind of interesting, but um I would say, honestly, when it comes to cybersecurity, the big start for me was the 2016 election. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, know if y'all remember the, um, you know, the Russians, uh, Russians were, were hacking the DNC and the RNC in an attempt to influence our elections, and so they were releasing strategic data publicly that was stolen to try and influence the way the election went, and uh, that was, you know, that was when I really realized how important. Um, this this is to me as as, as a citizen, right? Um, I thought, well, you know, uh, this is the potential implications for democracy are huge. So uh, when a position opened up under the CISO, um, I thought, well, I can I can learn about cybersecurity. I can, you know, I care about protecting my university. I care about protecting my community and ultimately my country. So um, I'm basically a blue teamer at heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's kind of how how I got into this space. Oh, that's cool. What, so tell tell me a little bit about the rest of that journey, though. Where did you start from? Where you ended up here? How did you? How did that go? Well, okay. So when I was younger, I I was kind of a mess. Um, <laughs> I didn't have the opportunity to go to to college right out of high school. It just it, it was I didn't have that sort of um, setup. So uh, I just kind of started, was working and casting around for crazy different jobs. I worked, you know, as a maid, I worked in food service, a telemarketer, like you name it, I was doing whatever I could to survive. And at some point I happened upon a job at a hair salon that it just, it was a great fit. I loved working there. I worked there for years and, uh, and I, you know, I started out as a receptionist by the time I left, I was running the place in the, in the owner's absence. And, uh, and I just loved it. I didn't actually even ever really want to leave, but um, at some point, you know, you have a family, you know, you can't survive on 12 bucks an hour or whatever I was making at the time. <laughs> and I said, I need a longer term strategy. And uh, so this uh, woman came in, she was getting her hair done and she commented to the hairdresser, she's great. You must love her. Because uh, I was just kind of, I was on that day, I guess. And and uh, the hairdresser, LB, she said, well, we're actually, we're really sad because she's looking for a job somewhere else. You know, she's, she's leaving us. And the woman said, I want to hire her on the spot. She went up to the counter, she paid her bill and she gave me her card. And she was the head, she was the head of the facilities department at Rice University. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she was like, now I'm not, I don't make all the hiring decisions. You still have to run the gauntlet, but I think you should apply. Go, we have positions open right now that you would be great for. Go apply. So I did. And I got 
got the job. So, um, I've, and I've been at rice for 17 years. So in, but in so many different roles, right. I'm all over the map, right. Uh, A lot of my background, especially in school is uh, accounting and project management, but, uh, but it was a really interesting journey. And I went to, um, I I was doing accounting work for the accountant of the IT department and there was a big restructure, reorg and stuff. And uh, I don't think they needed me as much in that role. And that's when that CISO opportunity opened up. And and I okay. said, I'd love to be an executive assistant to the CISO. That would be great. And I uh, went for that role, got it, excelled, loved it. And then I would say a couple of years, I was doing that for a couple of years. And, uh, and then at some point... Um, you know, Mark is his name. He he said to me, "I'm I'm thinking of starting a, a an apprenticeship program because I'm having trouble hiring security analysts." Yeah. And he he said, "You know, I, I might want your help, kind of, you know, coming up with that and that plan and everything." And I said, "Well, actually, I'm I'm kind of interested." At that point, I had learned all kinds of cybersecurity stuff, and I was just I loved the field. I loved learning everything I could about it. And uh, and he said, "Oh, okay. Well, you can." <laughs> You, I guess when I open that up, you can apply, but you know, you, I'm opening up to all of IT. So you're going to be competing with these highly technical people. And I said, well, I better step up my games, right? So that's when I, uh, I dropped some money on some SANS courses. I was very okay. privileged at the time to have had a windfall and able to pay for them, which today I don't think could happen. They're so expensive now. But, but yeah, I took some SANS courses, did my 300 level, did my 400 level, and just was just sailing through it, just loved all of the material, loved it, was learning Python. And then uh, when I applied for the apprenticeship, I got it. That's just about awesome. nine months later. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I feel like your route into cybersecurity is kind of unique. I don't know how many professionals can say they started at a hair salon. Um, <laughs> it's a little weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I love it though. Um what what did you learn while you were working there that ended up helping you when you switched to cybersecurity? Um, you know, at, at the hair salon, you think? Yeah. So probably probably how to deal with people, how how to deal sensitively with people. Um, I mean, a little bit of that I got from from my parents in general, but um, honestly, that's I think that's the, the big thing was, uh, just being on being present and fully present in front of people and, and respecting their time and their, you know, the, what they're dealing with and, and trying to manage, uh, what you're doing around that. It, it's really, I believe it and cybersecurity in general, it's, it's really, we're, we're all revolving around people. That's what we're doing. We're not just, you know, showing up and typing on a keyboard, you know, most of the time it's all about the people we're securing people in their data. So, you know, you've had the ability to and and the guts to change your career path and pivot pretty hard. What is it about you? What, what characteristics of you allow you to do that? Do you think? Um. So, you know, I, I, it goes back. I think to my parents, right? My mother, she um she taught me a whole lot uh, about how to not put up with nonsense and also not how to not let people stop you. Her work ethic is incredible. I absolutely get my work ethic from her. Um, you know, she's, she's an amazing woman and she is an amazing woman. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that helps a lot also with my dad. 
um, I learned a lot of unconditional compassion, uh, just unending unconditional compassion. So it's really important, especially in cybersecurity, to be compassionate uh, with with your end users, with people who don't want to have anything to do with technology or people who just think they don't need it. They don't. I don't need cybersecurity. Why are you bothering me? You know, like that, that's. <laughs> That there are those people are out there and you have to sort of validate their feelings while also trying to convince them why they should care. You know, it's it's a big challenge for sure. You know, I think I think one of the cool things about cybersecurity is that it's not uncommon for people to not have a formal degree. Um, And I'm curious how in your case that absence of a formal degree might have influenced your perspective on yourself and others? Um, It definitely did influence my perspective for a long time. I think I I thought that I was less than and that, that, oh, well, I don't have the piece of paper, so I must not have a lot of value here. And that sort of, you know, it it, it feeds into a lot of imposter syndrome, which is why I think so many people in our industry have that, is a lot of them don't have formal education. Um, but there are things that one doesn't typically learn at a university or college, uh, things like work ethics, certain types of soft skills, how to behave and navigate workplace colleagues, uh, bosses, politics, right? I, office politics is a huge thing. You're not going to find a lot about that in at your university or your college. And so, you know, um, oh, that's the other thing, work work ethics and and are are sort of, it's not that you don't have a work ethic to get through to get a degree, but a lot of it revolves around very clear, specific things and deadlines. So what you have to do and when is clearly constantly communicated to you. And in in, 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 in most industries, that is not necessarily the case. You've got to come up with your own deadlines. You've got to realistically evaluate your workload. You have to figure out how to get things from others so that you can accomplish your goals. It's not, it's not straightforward, you know, not, not, not always. Right. Um, and, and I would say, you know, having a chunk of your workforce with those skills is incredibly important. I mean, it, it definitely applies to cybersecurity. Joanna, we, we know that you'd spend a lot of your, um, a lot of time looking at artificial intelligence and, and AI, sort of not to the extent you have spare time, but some of your spare time on this. How did that become a focus for you? Um, my new role in compliance, honestly. Um, a lot of what I do, again, is reviewing security controls for cloud applications, right? Um, and lately, we've had a lot of requests to evaluate new AI tools uh, and the frameworks for evaluating uh, risk of AI is all very new. I want to be able to sort of foresee the road ahead and bring the most value to the job that, to my job that I can really. That makes sense. Um, Given, given your experience assessing risk, uh, particularly in cybersecurity and this new passion that you've found learning about AI, how do you mm-hmm. see the intersection of those two fields evolving in the coming years? Like what sorts of challenges do you anticipate? Yeah, it's going to be, I think, difficult to, uh, as I was saying, sort of assess the risk of using these kinds of tools um, because mostly because we don't know what we don't know. Um, the technology is so new and it's being adopted so fast by by everyone. Right. Data sets are incredibly important. So how are you training your data sets? Uh, bias and ina- inaccuracies are a problem. Right. The industry, the AI industry itself refers to hallucinations. Well, 
I have, this is my hot take, right? That's just a fancy word for lies. Um, <laughs> it, it lies, right? Um, sometimes chat GPT, Bard, Copilot, they make things up. Um, and it's not like Google where you get to select your source. You get to decide what you're going to click on and then determine whether you trust the veracity of what it's doing. Um, evaluating risk, that kind of risk is complicated. Uh, the EU, for example, they have some great, interesting strategies. I recently read a white paper that suggested that the way to assess AI risk is using climate change models huh. as your examples, because they are equally complex, right? When you have so many different levels and layers of things that are happening, you know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how this space opens up and, and assessing risk becomes more standardized and adopted uh, all over the world, really. Um, I'm, I just find it so interesting. I could babble about it. <laughs> Druin, are you... Are, are you an optimist on it? Are you a pessimist on it? Do you think it's going to help us? Uh, or, or, or is um, it like a, you know, it could be used either way? I'm, I'm probably not going to make you happy with this answer, but I'm a realist on it. Okay. I'm, I'm very practical. I think that AI is inevitable. Okay. It's straight up inevitable. Um, I don't, I, I don't think it's bad or good. I think people need to understand um, the way that it, it works uh, okay. that uh, people confuse. This is really important when we're talking about AI, right? People confuse um, the AI technologies with like their laptop, right? Your laptop, <laughs> you plug it in, it just works, right? It doesn't have biases. It doesn't have, you know, it's not going to lie to you. Either you can do something or you can't, right? Either it has yeah. power going to it or it doesn't, right? <laughs> um, and, and so people think of technology this way. And the average person who doesn't who doesn't work in this space or, or interact with it a whole lot thinks that, oh, well, AI is just another, it's going to work, like my laptop. They're not going to appreciate that the way this technology operates is it's totally defined by the data sets that it's trained on. And if mm -hmm. the data sets that it's trained on are, are accumulated and the content is created by human beings, which are inherently flawed and are full of biases. Yeah and inaccuracies and, and judge, you constantly have to make judgments. So how those data sets are being trained is incredibly important. Are there any hotspots? I mean, you think about, there's a lot of consumer facing retail companies online that are putting chatbots up left and right, right? So that's like one area where you just, people are now seeing it when they used to not see it almost on a daily basis if they're active and if they're buying things or, or interacting with service providers on the internet. So chatbots is one, and I'm sure the researchers are using it to go against data sets. Are there any areas that you think are of particular risk that people should kind of maybe slow down on? Absolutely. I think law enforcement. Okay. Law enforcement is really where we need to slow down. Uh, recently, um, I think since 2018, I want to say about six black men and one woman were arrested based on inaccurate facial recognition that just straight up identified them. And I think it's telling that they were all black. Yeah. I think it's, it, it says a lot about the biases inherent in facial recognition. So just in general law enforcement, I mean, that, that has the opportunity to just destroy lives. Like if you want to use it as a data point, that's one thing, but if you're using it to decide whether or not to arrest someone, it's not reliable enough. I think we should slow down. It's true. Like if the if the experimentation happens, it should happen in low stakes places. It should happen mm -hmm. in entertainment, right? Yeah. It should happen conversations you have among 
families and friends, right? Like, like social interactions, but not, not things that decide freedom, uh, freedom or, 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 or incarceration, frankly. I mean, yeah, that's, that's really, that's the stakes right. are pretty darn high. I agree. I agree. It's, it's dangerous. And I think a lot of the uh, legislation and the regulation that we need in this space is not going to show up until a lot more harm has been done. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I think it's probably accurate. I mean, think, I want you to think about the car. When the car was first made, like there were no seatbelts and there were no streetlights. And people were just driving these things 30 miles an hour down dirt roads, dodging horses, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you got to think about like how slow it can take a while, right? And the only reason we have things like traffic lights and what have you is because we've hit horses, people have died, you know, it causes accidents, you know, that's, that's just sometimes how, how the nature of these things go. There was a, there was a, uh, a documentary maybe 20, 25 years ago, it was called Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control. And it fo- followed a couple of technology pieces. And it, and I just love that name for it because I think about that's what is so strange about AI is it's not just, you know, like five research universities or, or, or companies that have these things secreted somewhere. It's we can all get access to it or at least some version of it. Right. It just seems it's, it's so inexpensive and, and accessible immediately by everyone mm-hmm. that – of course, there's going to be horrible mistakes that are going to come out of the use of it, but probably some good stuff too. I, the idea yeah. of a- automating repetitive tasks, I think, is one of those benign uses. That's it nice, right? It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would be really, really nice to be able to just, you know, there's there's a, a video game that my husband plays where he's he's got some, you know, tractor and he can set a path for it. He can do it yeah. once. He hits record, he does it once, and then he can hop off and it just keeps going on that loop. And I'm like, this is this is the future of AI. We're just gonna yeah. we're gonna do something and go, okay, now do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> do that so that I can go do something else. I think that's that's absolutely, absolutely. the future of AI. I'm still waiting for robot butlers though and robot chefs. Like, like, <laughs> Me too. I, I, like I get, I know why this is where it is, but like I want like that f- I want, you know, hover bikes and things like that too. So I yeah. hope everyone well, who's working all this stuff. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, but but one interesting thing I think I saw was that uh, somebody was talking about the fact that you know people are really really scared about the future and oh robots are going to take over and kill us, but none of them care at all about the fact that they've got a robot vacuum mapping out their living. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's right. just yeah. That's just they don't think of that right because it's it's like you know the personal surveillance device that we all they all have uh, yeah, on us right. right our phones that we carry around with them i don't want anyone to know where i am as i enable notifications on every app and as i enable <laughs> right exactly. you know, uh, location yeah. services at every moment of every day it's we not me right it's like um, <laughs> nobody likes congress but everyone likes their congressperson you know, oh, yeah, like, totally. can all be wrong right <laughs> yeah. can you, you, you tell us a little bit too uh, about wesis and about your connection to to, to wesis I could talk about WESIS all day. So WESIS is Women in Cybersecurity. There's a global organization as well as underneath that, a lot of local affiliates. So um, I volunteer with the global organization right now. Um, I, I lead a, a book club um, cool. frequently. I'm, I'm about to pass it off to others to allow you know other people the space to do this too. But it's a globe because it's a global organization, we do this book club over Zoom. So it's not exactly your typical book club, but we review books um, about cybersecurity and privacy. Oh cool. And it's it's yeah, it's 
fantastic. Um, it's great fun. So I do that. Um, also at the same time, I'm learning so much because I'm reading all these books about it. Uh, but my local chapter, I'm on the leadership team. Uh, I'm managing all kinds of things like, uh, big events and we, uh, you know, I've got an amazing team that I work with, just incredible, brilliant women. Uh, and we, we've launched something called the Cyber Speaker Series. So we, we have at our local libraries, we have people come oh, and, nice. uh, and our, one of our members, you know, gets to do a talk. And it benefits our members because they get to sort of try out stuff they might want to do at a conference in front of their peers, right? And then also the people coming, attending can just, you know, and, and we mostly aim it at our members, but it's open to the public too. So any Anyone can come and show up and go, oh, I want to learn about the research that you're doing in AI and or whatever, the research that you're doing in, in uh, you know, hacking something like LLMs or something. It's, it's fascinating stuff. And uh, so I'm, I'm just I'm loving being a part of all of this. We're also doing Girl Scouts outreach to help uh, Girl Scouts get cybersecurity badges. I bet you didn't yes. know that was a thing. <laughs> there are now cybersecurity badges for the Girl Scouts. So that's been great. We've been partnering with them. Um, well, I, I say, Joanna, I have two daughters and one of them has done that program and it is awesome. And thank you. So I do want to say that. Absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. cool. so a lot. There's a lot that we do. Uh, we even do more. We've, we've done some outreach with um, underprivileged schools uh, to, you know, let people who like normally in, in your average, you know, high school or middle school, you might not think about cybersecurity as a career because there's not any curriculum. It's not a class. Right. Not yet. Let's hope. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so we just kind of bring them in. We go, hey, here's here's cybersecurity as an industry. Here's what it might look like to get a job in this. So would you be wow. interested? You know, you could you could hack banks for money for you know, <laughs> weekly and they love it. They, they eat it up. You know, when when you're doing uh, these events uh, in community outreach, how. How have you, like, what sorts of attitudes have you encountered uh, from people outside of cybersecurity? I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking of those memes that have the six different panels, like what I think I do, what my mom thinks I do, ah. what the rest of the world thinks I do. Hmm. Yeah. So just curious, do they think that people in cyber are like hoodied uh hackers in dark rooms or there is a lot of stereotyping initially i think that people do and i think that's because of the media i think honestly i think i stock photos has done the most damage to the industry because you look at the eyes every article about a cybersecurity breach has some shadowy figure it's almost always a dude wearing a hoodie in front of a computer it's like dark and you know or there's like red filters or whatever and it's like they just give the wrong impression, right? Um, I, you know, uh, I, I, have, I have a friend from Houston. She's in the, the Houston Weesis chapter, and she, um, she used to wear a shirt that said, "This is what a hacker looks like." She's a black woman wearing this T-shirt, and like oh, cool. it, she said, she used to get all kinds of people would be like, "Oh," and you could, <laughs> you could just see it on their faces, then being like, "Oh, this is interesting. Let me start a conversation about this," right? And you know, like what? <laughs> so it, it's it's you know it's not some teenager in in their basement like it's this is this is we're we're an army and you know there are good ones and bad ones and people who kind of try to walk the line uh you know it's uh it's different we've got red teamers and blue teamers and so you know a, yeah a lot of people walk in with this sort of these stereotypes and these assumptions that you know either you're an it person or you're a hacker and you're a bad guy 
there's just too much too much nuance that yeah. is hard to communicate. Yeah. We're going to take a short break now. Uh, when we return, we'll have our lifestyle polygraph. So please Ooh. stay with us. You're listening to the No Password Required podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff. Welcome back. As many of you know, the Lifestyle Polygraph is a test used by the federal government to determine if a person is worthy of learning some of our nation's most important secrets. Here, we use this technique for slightly lower stakes to determine whether our guest can join our fantasy cybersecurity squad. Joanna, are you ready for the Lifestyle Polygraph? I am. Awesome. All right. First question. In your upbringing, what traits did you pick up from your parents that show up most often in your cybersecurity life? You did kind of answer it. I did. As I mentioned earlier, right, uh, my mom, my work ethic, uh, not putting up with anything from anyone, just really not letting people stop you. And then for my dad, just uh, unconditional compassion. Yeah. Joanna, how, how do you feel like when you see in the work environment, when people when you know if they put a little more work in, they could get better results, but they don't do it. Like, how does that, how do you react to that? You want the honest answer? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm disappointed. I, I, I wish there was more, but I, but I try to recognize that you can't control other people and it takes all types to make the world go around. So I, I just try to hang on to that and try to stay positive around it. I remember years ago, my one of my sisters had a job at a catering facility, and she was an athlete and was you know would run basically the whole time. She'd like bring things in and out, bring things in and out. And there was a, a woman who was older who worked with her who really couldn't move that fast and move very slowly. And my my sister was complaining one night about this, and finally my dad said to her, he said, uh, "It takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. Right? You couldn't be recognized for being fast if there weren't people who were a little slower than you." It's true, and. I- yeah, yeah, and and also when you just think about it, like, um, okay, so maybe you know, maybe I bring a little bit more heavy-handed work into something, and maybe I bring more attention to detail. But honestly, we also need the pick the people who can look at the bigger picture. We need the people who have better work-life balance. <laughs> Probably, we can't all be workaholics. It just wouldn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like there's no benefit working in an empty office if everyone's there, right? If I'm here late, right? I want it. I want it to be empty so I get some That's cool right. feeling about being here alone. You know, <laughs> totally. Totally. like you're on a secret mission. That's exa- exactly. Right. Oh, all these other people at home with their families, and I'm working. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh. All right. Question two: okay. Can you tell us what it's like to manage and host a poetry open mic event? Yes. Um, it is not unlike cybersecurity, actually. You'd be surprised. Uh, you have folks who are good at certain things and people who are good at others. Uh, some are published, some are just starting out, some are novices, but you have to validate everyone regardless of where they are on the journey. And so you can't, you really, it's hard to be, you can't be judgmental. You, you really have to be, you have to allow space for people to be creative and express themselves. That's lovely. Have you have you ever combined those two things, poetry and cybersecurity? <laughs> I, have, I have. I actually I wrote a short poem about cybersecurity, um, and it's you know I I'm not going to say it's great, but it's it's you know it was cute. It's sort of a little. I just was feeling like everything I was doing in my job was um, 
sparking this sort of introspection about it. And I can read it if you want to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let me pull it up. Um, Okay. Where poetry meets cybersecurity. This very on the nose. Um, (laughs) 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 Is this poem worth more than the hardware it was typed on? Is this poem a beta version of a future poem? Is this poem Wi-Fi enabled? Hey, cybersecurity, why is it so hard for you to make friends? Will you always be ignored by people that hate technology? Does this poem get a unique MAC address? Does it have capital letters and at least 12 special characters? Will it rely on a password manager to keep all the details straight? Is this a poem that can execute lateral movement into your brain and exfiltrate your creativity? Whatever security wears your positive language. All you want to do is throw your arms around people and protect them. Cybersecurity, we have a communication problem. Does this poem make you care? Is privacy worth the trouble? How can we help you, cybersecurity? It's becoming important. We need to know. <laughs> that is so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> No, but it points out so many cool things, but it points out the idea of cyber, the word cybersecurity, wrapping the arms around them. It's the word is security. It, it gets in there. It's like a hug. Yeah. yeah it's a hug. It's a, that's a beautiful image. And I'm going to think about that. that no, that's good. an arresting image, Joanna. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we do this stuff, right? It's arms. I love it. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. Third question. Mm-hmm. What is a song that will make you dance every time you hear it? Oh, that's um, Can't Stop the Feeling from the movie Trolls. <laughs> and there's just something about it. It's just so, can't, can't help it. Can't stop the feeling. It's too happy. <laughs> that is a great, yeah, that's a great, um, it has a, like, it kicks in, right? Got that mm-hmm. sunshine in my yeah. It has a nice like kicking sunshine in my pocket. Yeah, and that's it. And I, I already it's in my head now, and so I'm already dancing. I can't not dance to it on screen. You know, that's a, also a very appropriately named thing. <laughs> can't stop yeah. it. <laughs> Joanna, can you like when you're working on a project like into the flow, really working on it. Can you have music in the background or do you need to be isolated? How, how do you work? So, yeah, that goes to my neuro spiciness. Um, I actually, I work better when I have something in the background, but there can't be words. There can't be any lyrics. It's okay. got to be, you know, I, generally I'll listen to, you know, things like um, EDM or okay. um, so. what's really fun is scores to movies. So oh, like there's right. nothing that makes you feel like you are a more important person on the planet that what you're doing is saving the world is when you're listening to the soundtrack to like Conan or something like Conan <laughs> or like you're listening to like the epic score from, you know, some late latest blockbuster, like, yes. you know, I, I, I can't even think of something right off the top of my head. Maybe um, <laughs> saving private Ryan. That's a good soundtrack, right? Do so you do that? And you're like writing an email and you're like, I'm awesome. This is great. You know, it's, it's seriously, if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend. Uh, uh, the 
I was at an event on Saturday and there was like like a, a two person, someone was playing the, the uh, violin and someone was playing the guitar and they, uh-huh. were, they were singing and they were like doing contemporary music. And then out of nowhere, they started to play um, a song from the Game of Thrones soundtrack mm. and everyone stopped yeah. and like looked back and, you know, kind of got a nod from the... Uh-huh. You know, the violinist, like, yeah, this has this effect on people. And everybody sat up a little straighter and squared their shoulders. That's incredible. It had exactly the effect, Joanna, that you're talking about. On a whole, you know, party full of people. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely effective. I agree. I love it. I'm going to have to try out the Conan soundtrack. Oh, yeah, Conan it sounds so epic. Um, Basil Polidorus is the composer, and it's one of my favorites. It's oh, just, awesome. it's just a, a piece of brilliance. I, I don't know if he had an Oscar for it. I hope he did because it was really good. That's cool. Love that. Okay, last question. Oh no, I'm I'm wrong. You you have two more questions. Ooh, okay. Penultimate question. <laughs> You are a big fan of independent movies, so I've heard. In your words, the weirder, the better. Mm-hmm. Can you recommend a couple of your favorites? Absolutely, I can. Um, there's a, a movie called The Pillow Book by Peter Greenaway. Um, it's it's straight up just a stunning film. Um, it's like, if you like poetry and just beautiful cinematography, um, you should see this film. It's It's not for everyone, though. Definitely not a mainstream kind of film. Okay. There's uh, there's there's some stuff in there that your average mainstream Hollywood moviegoer is going to be like, whoa, what's happening, right? Uh, <laughs> one of the things like there's, I think there's some some male full frontal nudity in it. So like, so just in, just for your audience, like know what you're getting into. Um, <laughs> but but I don't. Th- I think most poem most poets appreciate that and they don't care. But um, if you want something a little safer, I would recommend Safety Not Guaranteed. It's it's fantastic. It's unique and unexpected. Uh, the main character reminds me of some cybersecurity people I know. A <laughs> <laughs> little, little bit paranoid, but not without reason totally. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I'm also a big f- fan of weird movies. So, <laughs> okay, well, check those out. You'll love them. Awesome. Joanna, how do you find new stuff to watch? Various sources. Um, I spend way too much on streaming services because I'll get impatient with them. I'll just be like, this is not, <laughs> not this is uh, same old stuff, annoying. So, find me something new and interesting and different. Um, so, I will often, I'll, I'll look up lists i look up a lot of lists so you know just doing doing searches on you know certain kinds of of genres or you know are really helpful i um i have a friend who gave me a a good tip for picking movies if if you've got like a couple or a list and you just can't pick um Mm -hmm. they have an app i I think it's just called spin the wheel and you can just add titles or restaurants or whatever and just spin it and it'll spin that wheel and pick one for you i love it it'll pick it for you when you're feeling indecisive that's great i'll check that out that's cool all right now now we have the final question okay you have a passion for fresh ripe strawberries here in central florida we have a passion for strawberry shortcakes and in the shortcake world, there are two types of people, sponge cake supporters and sweet biscuit lovers. Which team are you on? 
Okay, I am a proper Southern woman. I'm not a savage. So it's sponge cake all the way. It's like sponge cake all the way. So, I mean, I just can't. That's biscuits. Biscuits are for gravy. That's just <laughs> Strawberries belong with sponge cake. Stay in your lane. <laughs> what about strawberry jam? Um, strawberry jam can go on a biscuit. Yes, I, I, I will. I will allow it. <laughs> like it's my decision, of course. <laughs> there's been, there's been a, a, a like a ton of strawberries recently in Central Florida, like in the stores and everything. And my family's been getting them, and the kids in the house just eat the top layer. And I don't know how this has happened. So what I do is I take the bottom layer into work with me and I've been having them every day. But the bottom layer, I didn't realize this, the top layer of like a pint of strawberries stays dry and is nice. And the bottom layer kind of gets a little soggy. Mm -hmm. And I never realized that before. And so I'm eating basically secondhand strawberries now every day at work <laughs> at the house. Which Aww, secondhand are still strawberries. They're still delicious. They're still yummy, but yeah, they, they don't have a good shelf life. The ones at the bottom are the ones that go first. You know, yeah, you got it. I should put them in a bowl, flip them or something. Or yeah, I mean, sometimes the computer itself, you can just flip it over, like walk by your fridge, mm. flip it over. That's, a, that's, that's the solution. Yeah. There yeah. should be no winners and losers in the house when it comes yeah. to strawberries. We should all do <laughs> fine. Fine, <laughs> All right. Well, Kaylee, uh, did Joanna make it onto our cybersecurity team? Absolutely. Flying colors. I mean, Yay. yeah, it, especially once I heard the poem, like, absolutely. Jive <laughs> street cred now. All right. Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> well, Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. If, if our listeners want to connect with you, uh, how can they do that? Social media, anything <laughs> like that? I would say LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I, you can see all of what we're working on with women in cybersecurity and all of our charity work and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, and that's uh, LinkedIn slash IN slash Joanna PM. Thank you very much, Joanna. Yep, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. But first, Kaylee, what did you learn today? I learned that I need to start volunteering for my local WESIS chapter. I loved all the things that uh, Joanna talked about doing out in the community. So I'd love to get involved in my own local chapter. And I'm always looking for sort of new ways to describe the things that we do every day, Kaylee. And so I love this idea of cybersecurity as not being something we should be afraid of or, you know, the kind of thing where it has a connotation of crime or some illicit activity or a burden Cybersecurity is a hug. Cybersecurity is protecting us and keeping us safe from the bad things that are out there. It's not the bad thing. It's the thing that's keeping us safe from the bad thing. Mm -hmm. So for the entire No Password Required team, I'm Jack Clabby. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the No Password Required podcast. You can find us on social media at No Password Pod. Please remember to rate review, and subscribe to the No Password Required podcast. And if you know someone who might like it, please share it with them. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. And a special thank you goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, cyberflorida.org slash pod. All opinions expressed by the No Password Required podcast participants are their own. 
and do not exclusively represent the views and opinions of Cyber Florida.